From the studios of WHUPLP in Hillsborough, North Carolina, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger Lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the wait is up Fight, Welcome to another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio, everyone. We are live from Hillsborough, North Carolina, and we have a bunch of guests in the studio today. We have U.S. Grappling's core team with us. As you know, U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization. They run tournaments all over, just ran their biggest event, and so we're going to talk to them over the next hour about how they got started running tournaments, about what makes a great tournament, about what their favorite events are from year to year, and what the future might hold for U.S. Grappling. And so uh, let's get right to it. Before we before we I introduce them, I do want to tell you how to get a hold of the show. You can always email the show at jeff at dirtywhitebelt.com or lordis at dirtywhitebelt.com. You can always uh, get at us on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash cagesideradio. We're on Twitter at DWB Radio and very active on Instagram at Dirty White Belt. We do want to hear what you think of the show, what your suggested listeners are, or what your suggested guests are, and generally any feedback that you have, we would be happy to receive. But we have Brian and Chrissy Lindsay in the show. I'm joined by my co-host, Betsy O'Donovan, and competitor as well as U.S. Grappling Corps team member, Mr. John Bagels Telford. Welcome to the studio, everybody. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we the, the coffee hasn't kicked in quite yet, but it's, it will any moment. So we wanted to get started. You know, Betsy and I wanted to get started by talking to y'all about, uh, you know, you've had some really exciting happenings this year. You're the biggest tournament you've run ever. There's been a lot of growth. But I think we're both curious about how you made the decision to jump into the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tournament game more than 10 years ago. Um, so mostly by accident, I think. Um, Andrew Smith, the other owner, so Brian and I are the owners of U.S. Grappling with Andrew, who's not with us today, um, got asked to help run a jiu-jitsu tournament during the day before an MMA event at night in the show place in Richmond in 2006. And that was before we were U.S. Grappling. That was an East Coast Grappling Championships tournament. And the, the guys putting on the MMA event had the venue for the whole day, and they're like, well, we could just have it sit there empty, or we could run a jiu-jitsu tournament. So Andrew's like, and Andrew at the time was very much like John now, competing all the time, driving around every weekend, competing someplace new. He knew a lot about what made a good competition, and he knew a lot of people. So at that, at that time, um, NHB gear was the internet forum for grapplers, especially grapplers on the East Coast. Um, it's run by Sam Kim, who owns the NHB Gear Fight Shop, which is very similar to Cage Side. And there was a big forum. So Andrew knew everybody there. And Brian and I had been posting on that forum for a while, too. We were still white belts. We were still very new to jujitsu. Didn't really know what we were into, but we have good logistics brains. So Andrew was asked to help, and I started asking him questions like, cool, how are you going to handle this? And do you have paper and pencils? And and <laughs> I started making lists because that's what I do. And then suddenly Andrew and Brian and I were running tournaments together. And then we quickly outgrew being able to be done before the MMA event started. So we finished a couple tournaments, uh, last few matches in the dark. And then we – that was interesting – 
And we kind of had to split and become U.S. Grappling instead of becoming the event before the event. Mm. We had to become our own event. How many people were at that first event? Ooh, I think I think it was like 180 <clears throat> people, and we yeah. thought it was insane. Like, we probably had like 23 kids and like six women and we were like holy cow you guys we're killing it we're killing it you know we were like <laughs> <laughs> so it was uh it was we we would drive around we were actually talking about this with john this morning we were driving around to the different gyms in richmond like richmond bjj and dave womack's gym and all the gyms and, and picking up individual tatami mats from all the different gyms and labeling them to set up so we would have enough mats to make a tournament then we would spend all day sunday returning them to the proper gyms and reassembling them it's um, it's not a fond memory. <laughs> it was hard. It's really hard to get them back in inside the wood frame. So you guys probably all know if you have these in your gym. So, Wasn't there at least one tournament in a bar also? Yes. At some point? Yeah, is that Fredericksburg? Fredericksburg, yes. Yeah. That was the second East Coast Grappling Championships. That um, There was going to be an MMA fight that night. There were... Three or four separate matted rooms in the bar. I didn't see one of the rooms until the end of the day because I was making brackets at at the actual bar. Like, <laughs> it was... It was pretty crazy. Um, did anyone I, did anyone mistakenly ask you to make them a drink? Like, hey, I'm going to compete in advanced nogi, and I want a boiler maker. <laughs> no, but uh. there were there were more than one competitor was drunk before their match because the yeah, bar was open. Name any names, but our instructor at the time uh, <laughs> was definitely hammered when his match was called. <laughs> <laughs> he stumbled onto. It the, was like it was, it was pretty interesting. The you know normally where you see like Gatorade bottles lining the, the mats. There were, you know, mugs of beer. It was, cool. it was, it was an interesting day. What year was this? Two thousand six. Wow, it's like the wild, wild west. It was really um, before bagels came along and cleaned everything up. Yeah. <laughs> bagels, basically, the Wyatt Earp of this analogy. Like coming into town, just like, you know, try people me. that know bagels. They are all sufficiently terrified now. <laughs> the building seemed to have like its own weather system. So I was sitting at a scoring table, and it was raining on me. From like pipes in the ceiling, it, it was nuts. The building was awful. There were there were like um, individual AC units in some of the rooms, like window units. This mm-hmm. this place was like four buildings that were kind of tacked together. I yeah. think it was it was crazy. Seth Smith fought on the MMA card that night, and he came out wearing a Billy Blanks T shirt. <laughs> like that's Tybo. I was yeah. just Ty trying to remember a couple of days. I was talking to you, Bagels. I was trying to remember what that shirt was. Yeah, it was that's a Billy Blanks Tybo T shirt. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I hope yeah. he still has that because if he still has that, I'm gonna have him wear that next time he comes on the show. I, <laughs> I, I feel like he would still have it, or he would probably get a new one for you. I'd, I'd buy that. I'd sponsor him for a Billy Blanks. We Tybo had shirt. that um, that event. We had an eight woman pro division at that event, which was really cool. Um, it's oh. where I met Emily Kwok. Mm. Um, she was a purple belt at the time, so it was a million years ago. And we had people come from all. We had a men's pro division that day and a women's pro division. And then the finals of those pro divisions happened in the in the ring that night during the MMA event, which was pretty cool. It for a long day for all of us, but still fun. One, one thing I'm not clear on, then maybe I missed this. Were you clear that it was going to be in a bar when you agreed to run it? Um, it was. It was more the. The people that we were running MMA events with at the time would pick the venues, and yeah. then we would 
get there and they'd be like, so this is what you got to work with. And be like, cool. Okay. But I think also it was kind of that community's event center. Like on Sunday, it's yeah. probably a church. And yeah, Saturday exactly. I don't know, Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> or, you know, like. This is a little bit of an inside reference for, for Durham people like, like Bagels. But like a part of me wants to run a grappling tournament at Shooters now, with the, which is the worst bar I've ever been to in my life. It's here in Durham. It's, like, it's seriously, it's the worst bar ever. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's sort of a, a fake redneck bar that caters to Duke students. And so they have a mechanic bowl they have dancing cages for dancing girls and they have uh, a, a big mirrored wall yeah and yep. so so for I imagine class. Yeah. yeah for class for yeah class. Class. Great. Space bowl, the mechanical bowl. <laughs> what kind of square footage are you talking about? <laughs> yeah right let's make this happen we're making miracles happen here well, so so you started as e- East Coast. Yeah, we ran four. ECGC, I think there were five. Four or five ECGCs, and at the end of. 2000 we ran our first u.s grappling event in 2007 in the frozen tundra in the frozen tundra that we don't really mention <laughs> we, 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 we did long ago making agreements to never discuss this city so we're gonna uh, make an exception here you guys we went to milwaukee <coughs> i've heard about this, this in is, february this <gasps> um super fun things happened uh we took 14 people in a van towing a trailer with all the tournament gear that we needed uh, minus mats, because then when we got to Milwaukee, we drove around the city and picked up mats from high schools mm. where we had to carry wrestling mats down the stairs. Um, we did some crazy things in the early days. We slept in gyms. Um, we slept in a, an apartment building that was being refinished once that didn't have Church. heat. Or that's, called an, that's called an abandoned building. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she really was... she really dressed it up there, but that's called an abandoned building for those of you that don't know. There were lean times. There, there, yeah, we we did not always have the abundance of you know mats and pocket snacks that and we have beds. today. <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm glad you shared the uh, the trip to the land of wind and ghosts with us exclusively on Dirty Web Radio, and probably we'll never we'll never talk about that again. Milwaukee in February, that's brutal. It, didn't, like everybody except for like two people get sick or yeah. something in that van. Yeah, too. Trey yeah. Martin didn't get sick because uh, no soul germs don't. It's just alcohol and anger keeps yeah. <laughs> germs away. I guess. And Mike Bird, I don't think got sick. Beard Same keeps the germs story. away. Same story, Same story right. Yeah. Everybody ended up... It's, I think I was patient zero because I was sick when we left. And then we rode for um, 112 hours in the van. The van had its own weather patterns. We have a lot yeah. of weather-related yeah. tournament stories, oddly. People in the front of the van were burning and people in the back were... Like, there was ice forming on the inside of the windows. Yeah. We drove to D.C. and picked up more people. And then it was it was nuts. Some of them just bought plane tickets and flew back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that anymore. I always tell, I always tell Seth that because Seth occasionally, uh, my instructor Seth Champ has uh, his family's in Vermont. And so he, he often does the 20 hour drive to Vermont. And I'm like, you know, they have planes now, man. You know, like it, it's worth the, it worth the, the 200, two, best $200 you'll ever spend. Um, Betsy, do you have something? Yeah, I was curious. So as you guys were forming U.S. Grappling, one of the things that like, deep history of this show its original incarnation was the cage side concussion cast and mm-hmm. then it became dirty white belt radio i'm curious how you guys came up with the name us grappling oh that's actually um pretty interesting so no there was there used to be a tournament in the early 2000s um called us grappling run by a guy in philly who actually 
this part is not so much interesting as sad. He en- he ended up getting sick and he died. Oh. Um, and we got the U.S. grappling name from his family and made donations to Make-A-Wish in, in exchange for the name. It was part of a very small community, you know. Andrew still has his original U.S. grappling membership card from, like, 2002. I bet it's still in his wallet. I bet it's still in his wallet. Like, I bet it's been there since to- probably the same wallet. Well, no, he had that Spider-Man one for a little while. Um, so he... <laughs> Andrew, if you're listening, take a picture of that card and post yes, it. Yes, please. <laughs> um, so the US, <laughs> the U.S. grappling logo was like this super mega buff, um, and by that I mean really steroidy looking mm. guy wearing like a an American flag singlet kind of thing. Is he, is he ripping it? I think so. It's it's kind of like (laughs) so for our 100th event, we brought that logo back on the t-shirts, kind of like dressed it up a little, but like kind of did a little throwback to the original logo. It was it was very America muscles, and I didn't resonate with it so much, but other people thought it was pretty cool. They liked the the U.S. grappling dude. If if the U.S. grappling dude were to fight the guy on the original UFC, which steroid laden white Ooh. dude would win? That other guy was holding the earth. Like, wasn't he holding the <laughs> yeah. one hand? So like, I mean, in theory, if he just throws the earth, you, you're pretty screwed, mm, right? Yeah, that's, Proje- that's valid. That's projectile valid. weapons like, are tri- bad. Can you triangle the earth? You can barambolo the earth. You I've can definitely seen that on the internet. You can definitely barambolo the world. You yeah. give me a belt long enough, I will barambolo the world. Wrap <laughs> that thing up. If you like watching amazing jiu-jitsu matches and supporting people in your community, you need to go to Toro Cup 9 on April 14th at the Cageside Warehouse, 124 Lotta Road in Durham, North Carolina. You need to go out there because it's going to support Hubao Karaoke's medical fund. The local black belt had a stroke this year and we're raising money to help support his recovery. Additionally, it's James Boomer Hogaboom's birthday that day. And if you know Boomer, the owner of Cageside MMA and one of the brains behind Toro BJJ, does a lot to support the local scene. So get out here and have Boomer have a good birthday as well. That's Toro Cup 9, April 14th at the Cageside Warehouse, 124 Lotta Road in Durham, North Carolina. And if you want to match on the card, contact John Bagels Telford. Was the original U.S. grappling like kind of pan grappling? Did you get all of the like grappling arts or was it also a jujitsu thing? It was still a jujitsu thing, but it was still very much like we are. You know, we have a lot of people that they don't do Brazilian jujitsu. They do sambo or they train some other nogi art and they still want to come and compete at our events. So we try and make that easy for people in the nogi divisions. Cool. We so we I want to return to history at some point, but for now there, there's an upcoming event that we're all really excited about, which is the ninth Toro Cup. John is the matchmaker for that, and so one thing I wanted to ask that dovetails with the U.S. Grappling deal is how do you when you you know how do you combine your responsibilities with U.S. Grappling? Does that inform your 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 role as a matchmaker at Toro Cup? What are you looking for to make matches at Toro Cup, uh, which is coming up again April 14th at uh, Toro BJJ World Headquarters? Yeah, I have all the same questions because when I keep seeing all these matches in the Toro Cup, I think, man, Bagel spend a lot of time managing the Toro <laughs> Cup. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, you know, doing both definitely makes it easier. It's definitely easier to, like, if you have a front row seat to some of these matches. Like, for example, the last U.S. Grappling Raleigh I got to watch. Let me make sure I say his name right because I said it wrong. Damon Blackshear. Blackshear. Yeah, yeah. Not Damon. No, no, Damon. Yeah. Damon. Nicely done. The Nicely yeah. Done. I'd never seen that guy grapple before. He's tough. Oh, my God. I wasn't able to make a match for him this time. It was, like, kind of late in the card. But, like, that's a guy that 
I, you know, he's not out doing like every IBJJF tournament in the world or winning the Abu Dhabi championships, but man, he is exciting to watch. So, reffing and being like right there in the middle of the mats all day for all of those matches gives me the opportunity to see a lot of different people's style and kind of put together who I think will make an exciting matchup versus each other. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, like, one of the ways that you, I always tell people to get on the cards is to compete at U.S. Grappling, because that's a great way to get on the radar screen of, like, if you're winning advanced no-gi divisions, if you're winning gi divisions, you know, then then I think that puts you on the, not on the radar, not just of yourself, but other people making matches at super fight cards. Is that, is that fair to say? For sure. Um, or also, you know, specifically for Tora Cup, like, this Tora Cup event, there will be a registration table where you can fill out an application to compete at Toro Cup. Um, I think hopefully we're going to try to get one of those set up at future events, maybe over at the Toro table for people to fill out an application. But people also have to understand that I can only make so many matches on each Toro Cup. <laughs> and, you know, I get a lot of people messaging me that want to get on Toro Cup now. So I'm trying to do the best I can to get a good spread of people from different gyms. I think, I don't remember the exact number. I think there's over, over 30 some gyms represented on, on this Toro cup, which is a pretty good number. It might even be over 40, which is a lot of, a lot of different academies. That's awesome. That's a lot of matches too. Yeah. I think it's 24, 24 matches for the day and nine, nine black belt matches. That's amazing. And I think it really reflects the growth of jiu-jitsu in the area. Yeah. So one of the things, actually, to come back to matchmaking that I don't know at all about U.S. grappling, even though I, my one and only competitive ex- ex- experience and appearance was at a U.S. grappling event, is how do you guys make brackets? Like, how does that work? Does it, do you put it in a computer? It spits it out? Like, what's, <laughs> the, what's the art and craft of bracketing? So we, um, we have a computer program that Brian wrote several years ago that we were going to use for... I think it was 2007. I, it it was, was supposed to get us to 2008. It was supposed to get us to 2008. Is and 2008 yet? 18. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. So In the quantum sense, it's still 2008. Um, so we do a lot of things that... that are very unique to U.S. grappling. We do gi and no gi on the same day. You don't have to qualify for absolutes. You can just register for them. Um, so day of registration. Day of registration is a weigh-ins. big one. Day of weigh-ins is a big one. We, you know, so no, just we, weighing in. Like you don't have to make weight. Yeah, you don't have to just make weight. Move up a weight class. Yeah, we'll move you. We we don't DQ people for not making weight or something. Um, so the software that we use is is really flexible and it allows us to enter everybody in a giant list and then we push a couple of buttons and it makes all the brackets and then it highlights anywhere that there's like you know um eddie swope is the only person in 30 plus purple belt up to 135 for example um so then we know we can see it's highlighted in red we know we have a division that only has one person in it so we look at how we can combine those divisions to make the most sense so then when you have a list of people to make a bracket, it sorts them by team and school so that we don't have um, two guys from Gracie Raleigh fighting each other first round. But if there were two guys from Gracie Raleigh and one guy from Forged Fitness in the same bracket, they would be separated by both the hoist tag and the Gracie Raleigh tag so that one of them would fight the Forged guy before their day in and day out teammate. Um, 
And then we get to the Chrissy's brain part of the equation where I know that Daniel and Charlie fought each other in their weight class. So when I look at the absolute bracket, I try to make sure they're not on the same side of the absolute bracket too so that they get matches with different people, right? Not only do I want you to get more matches, I want you to get matches with different people too. So so there's a lot of a lot of the computer stuff is pre-done and then there's just that last human check where we try and make sure that People have got their team in school right, which is a really common problem. People don't know who they're affiliated with. So we, we try. Oh. <laughs> you didn't believe the amount of people that register hoist, Team Hoist Gracie with an H. Oh. That happens all the time. Yes. Or these crazy affiliations like, and this is just random, but somebody will register, say, just an example, Team Hoist Gracie, school, Pendergrass Academy of Martial Arts, yeah. or like vice versa, yes. Gustavo Machado team, triangle school, yes. triangle jiu-jitsu, and you're like, wait, how how did you put, how did you come up with this? Like Team Moise Gracie School, Garner High School. Yes. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. People put their actual <laughs> the high school they go to. Yes, all of these things happen. So we have to know, not only do we have to like know what's right, like we have to know who teaches where so we can fix. This is why we ask for your coach. It's not because we're going to ban anybody else from coaching you. It's so we can clean up the team in school because if you just put Hoist Gracie and my coach is Seth Champ, well, then I know you train at Triangle. A lot of times we don't need to talk to you. We need to talk to your coach. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know the answer to the question. <laughs> Why don't you want to let people rep their high school? I mean, that's just school pride. Well, well you guys having true. a school pride. A lot of people have, like, a couple different names for their academy, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so they're all registering under different names, and then maybe some people are registering with, like, the code name that they call the gym, like, with their boys. So you've or, got, like, Secret Dungeon or something. Or thanks to Daniel Charles Frank, some people will register as Savage Kittens. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, that's cool, and lucky for you, I know your joke. Otherwise, your team points, your school points would be separated, right? But you get, like, six Savage Kittens registered because of the, the 6 a.m. class. But it's also possible that they just don't know that's not their, <laughs> that's not their name. You've got the BJJ <laughs> Revolution situation where Andrew thought it would be just absolutely hilarious to have his team be BJ Rev- BJJ Revolution but make a school be Revolution BJJ. So th- that gets mixed up a lot. There's too. a symmetry to it. Well, we, before we got the name U.S. Grappling from the Prioli family, one of Andrew's ideas was like the American Grappling Association of America for Americans. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's still pulling for that. I like, I like that. <laughs> Man, I like that. I like all these That's name options. Right we talked about grassroots grappling pretty seriously we did. for a while. Because um, that, that was really important to us, like really making sure that, that the decisions that we made were for the competitors and we wanted to make sure we were hearing feedback from competitors. And, you know, Andrew was still a very active competitor at the time. Brian and I used to compete, you know. Yeah, we were more. really inspired. A lot of the decisions that we make, a lot of the things that, that make bagels cringe uh that we do at us grappling we're really inspired by traveling to other events and seeing like wow they they take such glee in disqualifying someone and taking their money like, you know, yeah a lot of organizations you know we travel to events all the time uh, especially like chrissy said before uh, there was a time where it was very difficult and expensive to compete every weekend there was just wasn't an event to go to every weekend unless you bought plane tickets and that's what andrew was doing you know andrew was someplace competing 
every weekend. So we were seeing all these different events that we were constantly taking notes. Like, hey, we could not do it that way. We could not be jerks. I do do want to say that one of the things I've always appreciated about U.S. grappling is what Bagels mentioned about the weigh-ins, where if you miss your weight class, you're not disqualified and you don't just get to sit around sadly watching your friends compete. Okay, you can go up a weight class and we'll we'll re-bracket you. One of my early tournament experiences, I loved watching Mike Fowler compete. Went to a tournament, was like, oh, look, Mike Fowler's competing. I'm going to watch. He missed weight by like a quarter pound. I didn't get to watch one of my favorite guys and he'd flown out from Hawaii and it's like, oh, that's awful. I, uh, by the way, I'm totally making an American Grappling Association for Americans T-shirt of America. <laughs> of America, you we'll just have one more in there. We'll get a AAA. I'll yeah, just, yeah, <laughs> it's perfect. So, so John, do you you, you know you, you know Chrissy has mentioned that when U.S. Grappling started, Andrew was a really active competitor, competing all the time. You're still a very active competitor, competing at the highest level. How has your life as a competitor informed your perspective on helping to run tournament organizations? Hey, Betsy O'Donovan. Yes, Jeff Shaw. Did you hear that U.S. Grappling's Raleigh event was the biggest one yet? I didn't just hear it, Jeff Shaw. I saw it with my own two eyes, and it was amazing. What were your impressions of this 550-person event? Well, you know, as always with U.S. Grappling, I'm astonished how they are able to manage the logistics of getting so many people on the mats with great refing while training new refs and uh, getting people passed through the medal ceremonies and all of those happy competitors it is a feat and they do it with a lot of love it was pretty astonishing that they were able to adapt to more than a hundred uh competitors more than their previous high water mark most of them signed up the day of and i had a great time competing and i'm sure you will as well are there upcoming events people can register for there absolutely are their next tournament is march 17th at virginia beach virginia Uh, If you want to keep competing on the I-95 corridor, you can hit the Richmond, Virginia Tournament on April 28th, and they're back in North Carolina on May 5th. I'm going to be competing at each and every one of those, and so hope to see you all there. Thanks for supporting the people who support us. You can find them at usgrappling.com. I don't know. Um, I mean, it it makes it easier. I'm able to see. I think. A, I think a lot of the times in our situation, I provide a perspective of things that like. I'm not necessarily advocating for certain things, but sometimes I'm like, eh, I don't really mind that so much as a competitor. I would sacrifice X to get more of Y, if you will, um, and some of that is seeing. Like Brian said, the way that you're like taking a picture of me. No, I'll edit that out later. <laughs> some of, like Brian says, some of that is traveling around and seeing the way other tournaments are run, seeing so many of them, and seeing just like huge inefficiencies in the process, but then also seeing people very much not being treated like a customer. I think. For some reason, jiu-jitsu tournaments are one of the places where people, like, just decide that, like, they've given their money to this organization or whatever it is on a website, and now they just, like, have no control anymore. And for the most part, a lot of big events, you don't. Like, if you go to, you know, PANS or you go to, like, a really big tournament and you have, like, a question about something, I don't know who you – I don't know who to ask. There's no, like – staff table that's accessible where you can ask questions or maybe find out like hey 
this is my first time ever doing this and I'm here by myself. Like, where do I go? What do I do? Right. To get to that table of information, you'd have to like wade your way through a bullpen, possibly get yelled at by somebody for being in the wrong place, then like wave somebody over in another language and then hopefully get them to actually speak to you. It's like a lot for your first time competing to find out where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. So I think that's been like the easiest thing is just seeing, as bad as it sounds, seeing the mistakes that other people make and just try to not make those same mistakes over and over again. What's the most fun tournament that you all have ever run? Or if there's a recurring tournament that you're like, oh, it's always great to go to Greensboro. I think like I think I like all of them for different reasons. Oh, picking a child. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's exactly how it feels. Like, oh, how could you pick? So there are, like, I really love going to Chicago, and I miss going to Chicago because, because of the after event. We go to this little Thai restaurant where you can bring your own alcohol in, and it seats, like, 12 or 15 people. It's like this dude's house. It's, it's it basically, ha- but, like, there are all these, so ev- and everywhere has a different thing like this, right? So we go to this Thai restaurant. It's the only place where we eat at somebody's house, just to be clear <laughs> for the true. record. That's it's true. a restaurant. People it are going to start inviting us to their house after events. <laughs> it's going to get weird. <laughs> no, I'm not coming over. <laughs> Later in the show, we'll talk about how people can invite you over to their houses. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like um, Richmond in December, the sub-only event, um, it's kind of, uh, I never thought I would say this about Richmond, but it's kind of home. Yeah. Uh, like, Richmond is one place where I can stand on a chair and bracketing and look around the event and think like, oh, I know almost everyone, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just surprised you have to stand on a chair. <laughs> <laughs> He's very tall. I, I I tend to prefer the sub-only events. I think they're just a lot less stressful. Uh, they have a different vibe. I like the the feel of the sub-only event. Um, Richmond has historically been the biggest of those in December. It always feels like kind of special event. It's the end of the year. We're wrapping things up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would probably be my favorite event. Yeah, I, I, I love that event, too. I love all the sub-only events. Um, they're, like Brian said, the vibe is just so much better. And then I get extra data. And, I mean, you guys have all heard us talk, Jeff and I especially, have talked about all the different data that we get about the submissions and um, submission popularity and match times and all of that. So Nerd life. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> so that, that always gets a little extra bonus point for me, too. Um, actually, this this is something I was curious about is sort of the different vibe between sub-only tournaments, which where you have matches that we have someone in. How long was Anya's match? Anya was a little over an hour. I think yeah. an hour and two minutes, maybe. So you have the possibility. I know it's not the not the mean or the median, but the possibility of these matches that like eat up mat time and like it has the potential to be a really long day, but it's also really easily like decided. But what's the different vibe like? I think the biggest thing is there's no. Um, Jeff, you're down on points. You you're down by seven. You've got to submit him. You've got twelve seconds. Go go. There's none of that, right? There's like everything's calmer. Well, there's that. It's on the kids' mats. Well, <laughs> yeah, because the kids are still points. Tommy, so still Tommy's that. mom and dad are still screaming at Tommy to like just stand up with the other 100-pound <laughs> kids sitting on Tommy's head. Get up, Tommy, stand up! We don't love you anymore if you don't stand up! <laughs> it's like, man, jeez, Tommy's trying. Like. Cut Tommy a break. God. Yeah, so the submission-only side of the house is calmer, and 
there are I think it just changes everybody's mental state when they're competing in that way. You know, there aren't a lot of people kind of walking by like, man, I didn't win that ref's decision. I totally should have won because I almost, almost had an advantage for almost getting to half guard. You know, there's none of that, right? Like, you either you either won or you lost, and and it was in your power to to decide, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that changes just everybody's mental state a little bit. I think it's a great first tournament for people because they don't have to worry about the points and freak out about a time limit. It's just like rolling in the gym, just with a new person. So it's cool. So I, I like that better. Yeah, and y'all are the only tournament organization I know of that does true submission only regularly. And I, I do love, I forget if it was Andrew or David Porter that came up with the term submission maybe <laughs> for like the 10 times. You, you have 20 minutes or whatever, and if you don't submit them, then you go to a draw. And it's but sub- we're going to call it submission only. Yeah. yeah. We're going to call it that. But I a- could answer both of those questions kind of the same. So my favorite events, my favorite events used to be Raleigh and Greensboro. Now my favorite event is Richmond, conveniently. <laughs> um, and my, I do prefer, I think, the, to, to work or run the sub-only events. And the reasoning behind all of those answers are the exact same. They require less work. For me. <laughs> so you get to sleep in your own bed. Yeah, if That's the a events, big one. if the events in Richmond, I get to sleep in my own bed. And if it's sub only, I don't have to set up scoreboards, which is sweet. They're kind of a pain sometimes. And like, I don't have to pack them up. So, like, that's, you know, a good 15, 20 minutes off the day right there. So, like, that's nice. But then not having to drive the truck all over America is a huge plus. It's really nice. So, generally, wherever I'm living, I prefer the tournament that's the closest to that location. That's my favorite. I can dig that. And speaking of someone that has some refing experience, I can say submission-only matches are definitely less stressful because you don't have to worry about somebody flipping out on you about whether he should have gotten an advantage for that underhook half guard or not. Yes, they're definitely like easier to ref in the sense that you're not having to keep track of points. But in my opinion, it's a harder day mentally because it's really hard to remain engaged for, you know, when you're watching two white belt people or blue belts, right, roll for just God knows how long and, like, who knows what position that even is. You're just like, (laughs) well, I don't even know what you're doing anymore, right? And then you've got Tommy's coach is over here. Tommy's had a busy day. (laughs) Tommy's coach is over here like, you got to deal with him yelling at this dude to, like, go for an Americana inside the clothes guard or something just ridiculous, right, while you're trying to watch this blob of a match that is just melting your brain, right? So not having the engagement of keeping track of the score definitely makes the day much longer for refing sub only. I want to tell you about the customer service I recently got from Cageside Fight Company. I really needed custom rash guards and fight shorts in time to get Junio Casio on the Eddie Bravo Invitational card so that he could look fresh. Not only did Boomer from Cageside personally deliver all of the stuff that I needed, he got it in a timely fashion at a great price. This is what I've come to expect from Cageside Fight Company. So if you want the best in fight gear from a family-owned business that does a lot for the local community, go to cageside.com and support the folks that support us.
One thing I'd be remiss if I didn't say uh, is that, uh, you know, because me and Chrissy both love data, we talked about this on on the the time we had you on the show, is that something I often tell people about in my own gym who are intimidated by sub-only is that statistically, the matches really aren't that long. They're really not. And sure, there are outliers, right? You might be out there, but but it's like most matches go between three and eight minutes, and, you know, which is about what most regular matches go on. Sub-only is also the source of my very favorite U.S. grappling rule, or actually (laughs) U.S. grappling frequently asked question. I think you uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. do. Yes. Yeah. Take it away, Chrissy. Mm-hmm. So uh, we tried to put together a list to kind of anticipate what people were going to be worried about with submission only. Um, and, you know, the answer to what if we grapple for an hour and nobody won is you grapple some more. And, <laughs> and well, what if we grapple for two hours? And I think that Betsy's favorite part is somebody's going to have to pee sometime. Yeah. And that's, that's the end. That's- <laughs> like. Mm. It, there will be a winner. <laughs> yes. yeah. Eventually, you'll either surrender or Tycho Brahe. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's going to be okay. And, I mean, really, truly, for every match that goes over 20 minutes, there are 21 matches that end in under two minutes. So it works out. It, it, it works out. Those are just all Andrew Bittner's matches. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew Bittner. We love you. One of my favorite sub-only <laughs> matches ever, we had a dude come to my gym to train at my gym who had trained someplace else, and he had learned Barambolo at White Belt, but he hadn't learned any submissions. And so he had actually a very tough daily heave guard, especially for his skill level because he'd been training at this really sporty school. And so he went out for a sub-only match, and just Baron Bolo'd the guy over and over and over and over, but didn't really know how to finish. And so eventually he lost after being out there for like an hour and 45 minutes because the other dude stuffed his moist ghee in his mouth. It's <laughs> called just a like, laundry machine. You just make him really dizzy from, <laughs> yeah, the, from yeah. the spinning. The laundry machine, that's nice. Yeah, you know, you gotta, you got to make a 10th planet <laughs> move out of that. I mean, back in the day that we used to get, when we were running, I think I was talking to you about it yesterday, we were running the tournaments at Car Vance and Henderson, and we would get the the wrestlers that would come for the submission-only tournament. And they would come, like, in their singlet, and they would just oh, wrestle yeah. these people to death. Like, yes. like And they, they kept looking around, like, did I win yet? And it was like, <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> no. That's got to be disconcerting. Submission-only. But, gotta man, be... that singlet is just so tight in all the wrong places. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it was in Henderson, so, I mean – we were talking about some quality individuals here. <laughs> Did I win yet? I should make that shirt, too. <laughs> yeah, that's a good shirt. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bagels, you mentioned something, actually, that I'm super curious about, which is you guys run adult and kids divisions, and I'm very curious about sort of the difference in the gap. You know, we hear a lot about, like, crummy sports parents and all that, but are you seeing that, like, what's the different vibe on the kids' mats? which I never, ever visit, versus the adult mats, how is it different to run those kinds of tournaments? So I would say, like, on the whole, I mean, you've got your outliers just like anything else, but I would say on the whole, it centers around the coach. The parents, from my experience, follow the coach's lead. So if you have a coach who is coaching their students calmly and giving them direction, being supportive, being positive, the parents typically are going to follow that lead and act the same way. If you've got a coach who is just screaming, like I call it like machine gun submissions, where they just yell, like it's like they wrote a list ahead of time of all the submissions they know, and in like absolutely no order whatsoever, they're just like, yell them all, and they just, they just start yelling, armbar, Americana, twister, neck crank, like... 
you can't do any of that stuff. Stop yelling at that kid, right? <laughs> and then the, the that same type of coach is the is probably the coach of Tommy who is screaming at Tommy or screaming at this child to just get up. It's like probably one of the most obnoxious things to hear is a ref on a kid's mat. Is parents and coaches yelling at a kid to just get up or like the try harder kind of thing. And it's like, man, I swear to God, tell that kid to do that one more time and I'm going to mount you on the edge of the mat. And then like, you're going to have to get up. Because like, I promise <laughs> it is not that easy. He's trying. Like, and like, you know, occasionally you have like the really lazy kid that's just like, he isn't trying. He's just laying around waiting for nachos afterwards. Like, maybe maybe like that, that kid. Maybe that yeah. kid needs to get yelled at. But like also, yeah, like Chrissy said, I kind of like that kid. He's cool too. We be friends, right? But for the most part, like these kids are trying. And they're trying hard at something that I would bet to say most of these parents have never done in their life. You've got some outliers where, like, the parents train and stuff. But for the most part, it's parents yelling at kids that don't really know what they're, what they're saying. Right? So that kind of stems, like I said, from the coaching. You have calm coaching, positive coaching usually leads to calm parenting, positive parenting from the sidelines. I don't know what's happening everywhere else. But from the sidelines, they're usually not the team that's screaming and going absolutely crazy. You have the coach that is getting super jazzed up about things and really, really yelling a whole lot and yelling at the refs a whole lot, yelling at their competitor and the other competitor a whole lot. Well, then the parents see that and say, okay, well, this is the normal behavior. This is how you support or motivate in this environment so that's what i'm going to do also so are there different as uh, do you guys see different things at like the judging tables or the registration table with kids tournament versus parents or versus adult tournaments too or is does it mostly play out on the mat i think there's a little bit of both i think there are a lot of parents that um, as soon as their kid weighs in, they want to know how much their kid weighed, how many people are in their bracket, how long they've been training, how tall are they, um, what's, how old, how tall, um, because their kid is short, right? So my kid is eight and he weighs 70 pounds, but he's short. So if he goes up against a nine-year-old that's really tall, that won't be fair. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of trying to make in the parents' mind, what's the fairest for their kid? And generally, it's can my kid be the oldest and the biggest? Is is how fairest, you make it fair. Fairest means <laughs> what's the situation where my kid has the best chance of being the winner? Yes. So th- for the most part, occasionally we have parents that come up and they're like, "Hey, bagels, my kid weighed in at 90, 90 pounds. Like, can you guys move him up forty pounds?" Yeah. Like, Whoa. There are absolutely Whoa. parents like or that. Do you want him to die? Yeah. <laughs> Just bring him to the brain. <laughs> do you think that's related to the kid doing or doing not the chores that week? It's like, you didn't do the dishes, you're going to fight. I don't ask questions. Yeah. Um, I don't ask questions like that. But a lot of times, like, the parent knows. The parent, the kid competes a lot. The kid is like a little mini John, right? They compete every weekend somewhere. And the parent knows, like, I've seen these three kids, like, at the last four tournaments. I know my kid is going to beat them, and none of the kids are going to get anything out of it or have a good time. Move my kid up 12 pounds to put them in the next weight class or let them compete against kids that are slightly older. Those parents are great. Um, Their kids may not appreciate it all the time. But, you know, we have such a good mix. And I think John does a really good job in the rules meeting reminding the parents that we're there to keep the kids safe 
And our kids refs are just phenomenal. All of them, like they all take an extra minute with the kids when they have a tough match or or a loss. Like Meg, who was amazing, and they take they take such great pictures. Meg and Alan, mm-hmm. they're always pictures of like the refs sitting with the kids, talking to them after the matches. Um, and then what's the little the little boy that comforts all of his opponents? He I don't this, know his name. Is that picture boy like, wrecks it was like them? all over the internet? He like yeah. made the girl it, cry in Greensboro. It, it's not. It's the Diego Bispo student. Is it uh, Hassan? No, no different no. kid. It's a little a little kid. He like dyes his hair green. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. But he's just he's just delightful, and he like he he's really good and he's quick and he just runs through these kids and then immediately hugs them and tells them they did a great job and like, he's like eight that's like, so great where did he learn this you know like if i could have a hundred of that kid competing first we would see some really cool jujitsu matches and second they would all be friends it would be great <laughs> man if i if, if i knew my kid would turn out like that we might have kids you know so congratulations to you whoever whoever parented that kid good parenting yeah it's really awesome so Betsy asked about the difference between uh, adult and, and kid tournaments on the mat in terms of registration. I'm curious. You've just run your biggest tournament ever, more than 500, about 550 competitors. Yep. And so I'm curious. Like, obviously, it's grown. Have you seen most of the growth in the adult divisions or the kid divisions? And do you expect that growth to continue? Um, I certainly hope it continues. You know, we're we're always looking at ways to adjust the schedule and adjust things. Right now, we're actually trying to expand the kids' mats because we're seeing a lot more kids show up for our events. Um, it used to be like if we had 30 kids show up for a tournament, that was pretty cool. We had like 170 kids Man. in Virginia Beach. That wasn't even at the Raleigh, Raleigh event, which was, was the biggest. Something. We had over 200 kids in Raleigh. So 40% of our competitors now, give or take, are kids, sometimes more. So so we're trying to expand the kids' mass because we have more kids coming, which is great. We're also it's, – it's much more rare for us to need to combine kids' skill divisions now, which is also great. Um, it's really hard, you know, you've got kids that are just brand new to training and sometimes beginner and intermediate get combined. So I I hate to have to do it, but I also don't want that kid that weighs 55 pounds to fight a 72 pound kid, right? That's, that's also not a good experience. So making kids brackets is really hard. We don't do that by computer. Um, when people come up to the bracketing table and I'm making the really, really bad face, it's because I'm making kids brackets manually. Um, I wondered. (laughs) (laughs) There are pictures like you can go see bracketing face through the ages. It's all it's 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 the same face. It has been for 10 years. U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a lot of reasons. Run by grapplers for grapplers, U.S. Grappling consistently provides the best tournament experience for competitors. Whether it's a points tournament or submission only, and U.S. Grappling runs true no-time-limit submission-only events, it's the best place to compete and to watch your friends compete. Check out upcoming events and register online at usgrappling.com. Yeah, like uh, so. So Raleigh was your biggest tournament yet. You have a couple upcoming tournaments. You're going to, back to Richmond on April 28th, yes. then going to Greensboro on May 5th. Mm-hmm. What percentage of those registrations are pre-registration, and what percent percentage? I'm curious because I'm thinking about for advanced planning for your perspective. Like, how many people pre-register? How many people walk up? Is there a way to predict? Like, oh, we're looking at a huge tournament, or is it just like you show up and you get what you get? So we we get probably about. are pre-registered now, about 10 to 15% register either Friday night or day of. Very small number of people register Friday night. People come Friday night to weigh in, but most of them are already registered. We'll get a handful on Friday night. Saturday morning, probably about 
10, 13% of the registrations for the day. So one of the things we're actually looking at is whether or not we should stop allowing people to register day of. Because most people are doing it the night before and if by the night before. And if we had everybody registered by the night before, we could start the day earlier, which means we could end the day earlier and get to Thai food faster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, personally, that's my goal. Other people may have different goals for the day. Um, but but then that feels like we're we're taking something away from from those competitors that, you know, they're, they're not really sure. So we're having a lot of conversations about whether or not that would be a good thing or a bad thing for competitors. <laughs> um, there's <laughs> there there's some disagreements amongst the three of us about about the right way. So we're, we're always looking at numbers like that to decide. It's also why we don't post the final schedule for the day until the Thursday night before the event. Because we have a pretty good idea of what the final numbers are going to be like. And uh, we have a pretty good idea of refs that get injured or table workers that get sick or whatever. We've got a pretty good idea of what staff's going to look like. You know, people get sick. Things happen. There are always – it's just like any job, right? Somebody always calls out. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know that until – David Porter. (laughs) He was very ill. He was very ill. He was just the last person to call out. Yeah. (laughs) I also think a U.S. grappling get to Thai food faster shirt would sell a lot (laughs) or at least be good words to live by. I think the famous flake list is, is, well, it's now famous. For a long time, people didn't know that, but now everybody seems to know about the USG flake list. What do you on the flake list? Like, how often do you have to flake before you make the list? It depends on who who, who is in charge of your flakiness. If it's like Chrissy Flake once, you're on the list. Well, I start tracking. Like, <laughs> the first, the first time, the first time, especially if you've only worked for us once or twice, and then you no call no show, or you tell me at eleven o'clock on Saturday morning that you're not going to be there at nine thirty for the table workers meeting, you're on my list. You might be on the Chrissy list before you make it to the official list. But yeah. like David Porter. I remember the week. point when I found out that there was an actual physical list. And I was like, whoa! It's called Flake List. It is yeah. called flake the Flake List. list. It depends why, too. I mean, if yeah. you call yeah. at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning and say, like, my arm is broken, that's different than, like, I have low tire pressure. Like, right, yeah. right. Yeah. You know, and, like, David Porter in Virginia yeah. Beach, he planned here. to come and work and was really hoping he would be better. So mm-hmm. he let us know late Friday night, early Saturday morning, whenever he let John know. Mm-hmm. We'll let David Porter off the hook. David Porter <laughs> is certainly not somebody I would consider a flake. Mm-hmm. I started typing. No, I, I would concur with that. <laughs> <laughs> is it like an is it like an Arya Stark Game of Thrones list where you like mutter it every kind night? Of. Yeah. Yeah. It's tournament Saturday mornings, night. yeah. The, the, the Friday night before tournaments, yeah. I start who will be added to my list. The list yes. is getting smaller over time. It is, yeah. Because some people some people once, you know first I think we do a better job like Talking to people, whip. confirming with people that they'll be there, and making it clear what their um, ex- what the expectations are. So John gets a lot of credit for that. He deals with all the staffing and stuff. It's right, re- I didn't mean that we had murdered most of the people. <laughs> Not at all. Not as far as you know. Yeah. Not on the radio. I murdered. Right. I murdered right. a couple. <laughs> um, I'm sure Daniel Frank has murdered a couple. Yeah. Like just for fun, not even the flake he, list he people. He murdered that Daniel like, Charles guy. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that guy forever. Uh, I know you guys are planning some expansion because you're having these bigger and bigger tournaments. And so one of the things I'm really curious about is how you decide what cities you're going to go to. Oh, we get requests all the time to come to our city. Hey, my gym really likes your tournaments. Will you come run one in, you know, 
Dubuque or yeah, Cleveland. Exactly. Or, yeah, when I've exactly. When I've heard of both of those cities. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got to go deeper. Yeah. It's like come to Saxapahal or I don't even know where that is, but like someplace like that. And it's like, yeah. what? But you're the only person that does jujitsu there. Are you going to fight me all day? Or? It's the largest unincorporated area of Western Kentucky. I mean, come on. So we get, we get <laughs> well. messages from people, and we want to expand U.S. grappling, but – this is going to sound a little hoity-toity for a second, but the U.S. grappling name means something to us, right? It, it means, like, a quality event where people are going to be able to get matches. And if we go to an area where there are only five jiu-jitsu schools within two hours, it's going to be a much smaller event, and it's going to mean that you fight your teammates. And we don't want that experience for people. So even, you know, I mean, John remembers in the early days of us running tournaments in Raleigh, like how many brackets would be Forge Fitness versus Forge Fitness versus Forge Fitness? Because there won it all anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's true. Those are the glory days. He did just we won everything. <laughs> <laughs> it was like work a table, do four divisions. Yeah. Well, so the, the, the related question then, like, so how should people that want you to come to their area pitch you? Is it a kind of thing where it's like, hey, there are X number of gyms in the area. There are X number of competitors, X different. Associations. It, it helps to it helps to know the number of gyms within a two hour radius. Um, it's also really cool if they're not all under the same affiliation, and and then you have to look at where are we already. Like if you're two hours from Raleigh, you're the Raleigh market, right? So if you're in Wilmington, um, and I know the guys in Wilmington would love us to come out there because they hate driving to Raleigh all the time. But the problem is we're in Raleigh. Mm -hmm. So the people that make up the bulk of the Raleigh tournaments are not going to drive to Wilmington because they know we'll be in Raleigh in six weeks. So just because we can have a great event in Raleigh, we can't have one two hours away where we would you would have to drive through Raleigh to get to it. Right. So it's it's a weird it, there's a lot of me going on Google Maps, and, and now thank you for putting the map together. It makes my job much easier. Yeah. Um, so so going and looking and saying, okay, we want to do an event in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Let's look at how many gyms are there really within two hours of Nashville, and then where could we pull from, like where else should we market to? And then if, if we get to like 20 or 25 gyms that, that kind of get little pockets – it's probably a place we would consider expanding to. But if if I Google your city and I get two jujitsu schools, you're probably not going to be a good fit for us. And no Thai food, we're Ooh, out. That's, another. that's a big one, yeah. <laughs> Start with sending me your Thai food restaurant list. That's a good way to get me to pay attention. You might create a Google map of the best Thai restaurants in the area with pricing and menus. Yeah, and then... overlaid onto your overlaid gym map. Like yeah, that, that would get my attention for sure. I can't keep giving away these ideas for free. we got to <laughs> save these for the premium podcast. My other question about this, though, is... You know, okay, so you guys are based in Durham, Raleigh, Richmond. Like, your core staff is in a particular part of the country. Mm -hmm. So is there an outer limit to where you want to, like, if somebody calls you from Nevada and they're like, we have 30 associations and 50 gyms and come run a U.S. grappling in Nevada. The trick there is the mats, right? We try not to drive our mats to a place that John can't drive to in a reasonable day. Like, I don't want John driving in, Vermont, let's in say. a rider truck. Mostly to Milwaukee. <laughs> I don't know. I that place sucks. <laughs> we don't want John driving a rider truck 
you know, 14 hours in a day, setting up and running a tournament and then driving 14 hours. That's just, that is a terrible misuse of, of our power over John's life. <laughs> the, other, the other big issue is going, like skipping all that space between here and Nevada, if you will. Right means that I somehow have to magically make a staff appear in Nevada. Right. Also, I need to make like fifteen or so refs appear, and then about thirty table workers need to like I don't know where this come from. And then they, you know, we have a pretty pretty thorough certification policy for our referees. We we want them to be trained and um, because every tournament has different rule sets, right? And you, you should pick the tournament rule set that most jives with your game and that makes you the happiest. And I think it's good that there are different rule sets for that reason. So you can, you want to do heel hooks in the gi? Awesome. There's somebody that will let you do that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's there's a process for to become a referee. Like you can't just like turn up at our event and be like, hey, I'm a black belt in jujitsu. I'm a referee today. Cool. It's kind of not cool because mm-hmm. not only do we have a process for how we score matches, we have like we have customer service processes, and we really want to think about the competitor experience. We work really hard to not DQ people, mm-hmm. and and that's you know just one of our big things. But but we want how the refs interact with with competitors and how we handle like the t- Tommy's coach. And <laughs> I feel like Tommy Quasi is just going to think we're talking about him this whole time. <laughs> no, Tommy, you cool. You cool. <laughs> we're just talking about his dad. <laughs> 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 that's right. Uh, so, so that's kind of the bigger problem with expanding there is, is keeping that quality level that, that we want for our tournaments. That makes it harder. Speaking of quality, um, could we talk about something that's kind of unique to you as grappling, which is your focus on pronouncing everyone's names correctly? <gasps> oh, yes, but that has to start with a 10-year mistake. <laughs> so I came to find out this past weekend in Virginia Beach, I have known two young jujitsu brothers since they were wee little children. And there came a point this weekend where they both were able to sign their registration form, the waiver, the consent form for themselves. For years, DeAndre and Gavin both, like either somebody in the room would sign it for them, like their coach or like some some uncle or like mom would be there. Somebody would have to sign the registration form for them so they could compete, right? But this weekend, both DeAndre and Gavin come up to me and hand me the registration forms. And I remember the day that DeAndre could register for, to compete by himself because he came running in the building, waving his registration <laughs> form, yelling, I signed it myself. I signed it myself. <laughs> DeAndre can now buy beer, by the way. Oh, my what? God. But also, he's been able to submit you for like years. But now he's like, now <laughs> come to find out that not only can they sign their own registration form, but they have deceived us all for years. <laughs> I like that you're putting this back on them. This is reframing. Their name is not Corvette. How do you act? And I'm a little embarrassed. I've been saying Corbet Brothers. For yeah, a so long is everybody time. else in the, world. in the world. How do you actually say DeAndre? Corby? Corby. Like, like Corey, but with a B in it. Yes. Yeah, like I, I like, so I literally, like every person in Virginia Beach when I wasn't busy and they were standing there not resting, if they were talking to somebody, I'd like interrupt them and be like, hey, hey, hey by the way, <laughs> did you know these guys' names? <laughs> it's not Corbet. Corby, go figure. It's too late now, though. I think the best we can do at this point is 
DeAndre Corby and Gavin Corby are the Corby brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the only answer. Like, I don't even think Nestor knew. It is sort of like one of those those combining nouns when like the two sounds combine to produce a different sound. So you got one Corby, one Corby, <laughs> yeah. and together they are Corby. I like it. It's like, like Voltron. Like the pluralization of Corby is Corby. It could just yeah. be the ultimate troll from those two, but like <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> I don't really see. It. I don't like, think so because in true. Corby brother fashion, they went home to confirm after, because we were all like, why would you have never told us this before? I feel terrible for saying your name wrong. I didn't so, feel that bad. <laughs> so D like went home and asked like his mom, like, is this, is this like, was, is it Corby? <laughs> <laughs> I love that you made him question the pronunciation of his own I name. Know. I know. Those guys are the best. They really, it's been a long time. They really are the best. I we, mean, they truly have been competing with us since they were kids. Like yeah. they started out on our kids' mats. Um, like you guys see Christina reposts every year like the pictures of them at the very early US grappling junior grapplings with their their little like Gavin with his little long hair like he was yeah. probably 9 years old or something whenever i see those i'm like i tell non jujitsu people i'm like that tiny adorable child can submit me now <laughs> and uh, <laughs> in a variety of ways yeah right in a number yeah. of different ways but so so to to the brothers and to Christina if it, it, you know uh, on behalf of all the dirty white belt radio staff we apologize for mispronouncing the name or if you are just trolling us we congratulate you on a very successful epic 10-year troll. Absolutely. Both yeah, of those Corby's. <laughs> so in the three minutes we have left, is there anything that I haven't asked about or that Betsy hasn't asked about that you really wish we would have asked about or anything else people should know about U.S. grappling? Um, we are going to a new city this summer, Columbia, South Carolina, Bye. submission only, coming up mm-hmm. this summer. That is excited ju- about that. That is June 30th, and so we'll put the registration details up on the website. Yeah, it is. Woo-woo. I'm going to say as, as a vegetarian... One of the best things about Columbia, South Carolina, I can no longer enjoy, which is they have one of the best burger places I've ever been to in my life back in the day. Is it like some kind of Thai burger? <laughs> we can't find a Thai restaurant. We may be. No, it's we a burger place that. where they will like judge and sass you really hard, which Ooh. is. I like sass. I will, I will send you directions. <laughs> the, the two non jujitsu things I like the best about Columbia, South Carolina is whenever I need to learn to tie a bow tie, there's a dude with a bow tie shop in Columbia, South Carolina. It nice. has a YouTube channel about how to tie a bow tie. And so I go back the same video. And also the REM reference in the uh, the voice of Harold from Dead Letter Office, the finest sound available everywhere, West Columbia, South Carolina. There would be a bow tie office in Columbia. Of South course, Carolina. no, and it's of course it's this old white haired man who's like, "This is the proper way to tie a bow tie," and I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> you would know, sir." So the proper way to talk. Also. <laughs> I like everything about that. So I'm pretty excited about that. Columbia, <laughs> South Carolina, yeah, South Carolinians, dude. U.S. grappling's expanding in your area June 30th. Also, don't forget about the upcoming tournaments: April 28th in Richmond, Virginia; May 5th in Greensboro, North Carolina. You can re- pre-register online, save yourself a little money at usgrappling.com, and we will, of course, post links to that on our site as well. Any final thoughts, y'all? Well, these folks are a damn delight. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) You're our favorite tournament organization for a reason. So uh, Brian and Chrissy Lindsay, John Bagels-Telford, and, of course, the wonderful Betsy O'Donovan, thank you all for joining us today. Thanks Thanks for having us. us. (laughs) Guys, this has been another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio. My name is Jeff Shaw. You can always uh, hit us up on Instagram at Dirty White Belt. Uh, uh, You can email me at jeff at dirtywhitebelt.com, or you can get on us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash cagesideradio. You can see some of the the surreptitious pictures I was taking, especially of John Bagels-Telford, on that Facebook page present. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. My name is Jeff Shaw. We will get at you next Sunday with some big news, and we are out.